Would you turn to Mark chapter 12? Mark chapter 10. I'm sorry, would you turn to Mark chapter 10? So our text today comes from Mark chapter 10. It highlights Jesus' teaching about serving others. As you're turning there, just before we get to this passage in Mark chapter 10, Jesus describes his approaching sacrificial death. The Son of God laid down his life so that we might have eternal life. This is the greatest sacrifice of all time because our Savior laid down his life, not only for a country, but for the world, not only for a physical life, but for a spiritual one, and for a life that is eternal. So on days like Memorial Day, the Christian should understand why we honor our servicemen and women, and especially those who have died, because there is no greater love than to love sacrificially in this way. Billy Graham wrote in one of his sermons, the freedoms we enjoy, the freedoms we take so much for granted, the freedoms that we often trifle with were bought not by the gold of our millionaires or altogether the genius of our scientists, nor the sacrifices of the people at home, but primarily by the blood, sweat, and agony of those whose names on this day we honor those who died that we might live. So while today we worship in freedom, and tomorrow we will likely rest and fellowship with others that we love, we should at least pause today and thank God for those who gave their lives so that we may enjoy these freedoms. Amen? Let's bow our heads together and pray. Almighty God, we thank you, O Lord, for those who demonstrated your example of sacrifice, willingly laying down their life for the welfare and the good of another, to enjoy freedoms. And God, there has been no greater expression, no greater sacrifice than you, O Lord. For you have given of yourself, and you became sin, who was sinless, so that we might become children of God, so that we might become righteous. And Lord, our Gratitude today is expressed through our singing. It's also expressed through our praying. We thank you, O Lord, for these that we honor, that we know of, that are connected to families, connected to this church, who laid down their life, Lord, for the good of our country. Lord, we thank you, O God, for the grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the right standing that you give, but that we don't deserve. Lord, I'm led to pray, O oh God, not just over this day, but the days past. Lord, we pray for those families in Texas. God, we lift our hearts to you. And Lord, we don't understand everything about why you allow one thing and why you stop another. But Lord, we come to the conclusion that if we can trust you with our salvation, we can trust you with everything else. So we just ask, O oh God, humbly that you would comfort them and make a way forward knowing, God, that you can work incredible things out of terrible circumstances for your glory. Lord, this is a Southern Baptist church, and we lament over errors made within those who are in our associations. And God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. But we pray, O oh God, where your truth should stand and lead the way that we would adhere to it. Abide by it. 
Lord, that there would be confession and forsaking. God, that there would be better ways forward in wisdom and in truth so that your name would always be glorified. Forgive us, Lord, where we have failed. And God, lead us. And Lord, may we remember today that your name is above all names. And your name is the only name that should be remembered as we leave here today. For you have the power to save, and there is no name under heaven by which men must be saved. It is only the name of Jesus. So today, Lord, we sing in your name, and we gather in your name. And we pray in your name, and we worship in your name, and we study your word, O God. For you are the one who saves and guides and forgives and restores and redeems, O Lord. So, Spirit of God, would you preside over our service now? And would you guide us into all truth? And Lord, we pray that this church, Lindsay Lane, would be the church that you've got in mind. Lord, we are evaluated by your spirit and by the code of your word. So God, today, that you would guide us that we may be more unified as we serve you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. And then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God, the Father, has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We continue today to, to work through the book of Mark and highlight the disciples before Jesus as they followed and began to understand. And today really discusses the fight of a Christian, the inner struggle between carrying out what God wants us to do and doing what we want to do. And that fight exists every morning that we wake up. The, the first thing that we see in the Scripture is the passion of Jesus versus the passion of man. This is the end of May, and to God be the glory for that, for May is a busy month. Somebody say amen to that. This is the end of May. It is the beginning of June, and thus begins vacation season. And when a vacation or a trip is really, really, really good, there's a feeling of we don't want this to end. But somebody in that group has to bring perspective and remind everyone that kids have got to get back to school, people have got to get back to work, we have got to get back to church and back to service unto God and his people because 
most kids have not graduated. Most adults are not retired. And even if you have graduated or are retired, God's call to the church does not lead to graduation or retirement. Somebody say amen to that. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10, 32 through 34, that the disciples are filled with awe. This is before we get to the passage that we read. They are filled with wonder, and the people that are following Jesus are overwhelmed with fear as they follow Jesus. This is an experience, as you see it in the scripture, this is an experience like you've never seen, no one has ever experienced on this earth. These folks at this time were literally walking with God. You think any of them were thinking about work at this point? You think any of them were thinking about deadlines? You think any of these folks that were walking with God were thinking, we're going to be late to practice? Or that there's this birthday party, Lord, that we've really got to get to. I'm sorry, guys, we've got to leave. No, they were literally, get that word, they were literally walking with God. And for the disciples, this had to be this feeling like, we love this so much, we do not want this to end. Chapter 10, verse 32, once again, Jesus in all of this wonder and all of this reverence and this we don't want this to end experience, Jesus in chapter 10, verse 32, tells the disciples as he takes them aside about the suffering that was about to happen. This is the third time in three chapters that Jesus has pulled them away and said, this is really what's about to happen. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be mocked and ridiculed and tortured and I'm going to die at the hands of others. See, three times in three chapters, Jesus brings this up and when he does this, he brings everybody back into focus about why he's here. Jesus is not there to perform. He's not there to draw a crowd. He is bringing in the reality of why Jesus came. This is the passion of our Lord Jesus as it pushes through the miracles and the entertainment factor that people did not get. This is the passion of Jesus that we're sure that he enjoyed the fellowship with those who believed. But Jesus never lost sight even amongst everything else, he never lost sight why the Father sent him. Jesus was there to reveal God to man and to invite man to God. He was there to accomplish this mission. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 38, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. He was focused on this. This was his passion this is what he was compelled to do, that he would go to the cross disregarding its shame, the Bible says, all the way through the suffering so that we might have eternal life. This was his focus, and thank God for this. The passion of the disciples at the time, however, was not as upward focused. All three times that Jesus discusses his suffering and his death, the disciples respond selfishly. In chapter 8, Peter, the Bible says, seeing from a human point of view, reprimanded the Lord. Again, I go back a few weeks, don't do that. Called Jesus out, reprimanded the Lord God. In chapter 9, after hearing of his betrayal, death, and resurrection, the disciples are caught after that discussing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus said, after they got off the road, what were you guys talking about that? Already knowing what they were talking about. And then now, in, John, in Mark chapter 10... Jesus predicts his death sentence, his mocking, torture, and death, and raising to life again. And after what happens, James and John, 
ask him to sit in places of honor next to him in the kingdom of God. Three times he has brought everybody together to remind them of the perspective that he must carry out this mission that is before him from God the Father. And three times the disciples seem to have missed it. They, they have seemed to, to have be so short-sighted and self-involved that they missed it. Can I just encourage everybody here today? We are all like this, by the way. We are all prone to wander to ourselves. Our sin nature is bent towards our desire for what benefits us. And if you notice between verses 35 and 37, the phrase, we want, we want is forward. Jesus, I know you talked about all that suffering stuff, but let me tell you what we got on our list to do, buddy, okay? I'd like to discuss with you a few things, if you would, about what we would like to accomplish while we're here and how you would sit us down beside you in glory when it comes time. This is how selfishly forward we can be. A husband and a wife were at a wedding. They approached the dessert table for a piece of wedding cake. Y'all, I know I get crazy when I do this. Would y'all please bow with me? Spirit of God, would you preside over this sanctuary? Lord, that we would take away your word to our hearts. God, that there would be nothing to distract us from where you would lead us to go today, Lord. Nothing to distract my mind and heart from delivering what you've given me in Jesus' name. Amen. A husband and wife are at a wedding. They, they approach the dessert table for a piece of wedding cake. Well, fortunately for them, there were two pieces left. So the husband steps before the wife, and he gets two pieces of cake, and he hands the wife a piece of wedding cake, which is obviously the smaller piece. The husband begins to dig into his cake, and as he takes a bite, he just casually looks over to his wife, who has a really frustrated look on her face. And he's like, what's wrong? Because he's got it already in his mouth. What's, what's wrong? She says, you know what's wrong. He said, well, what is it? She said, you obviously gave me the smaller piece. You have the bigger piece. You're selfish. He says, okay, then what would you have done? She said, well, I would have taken it and obviously given you the bigger piece. And he said, well, we all win because I've already got it. <laughs> he said, this is, this is how selfish we can be. Our desires are often so strong. Think about this. Our desires for ourselves are often so strong, we can get it wrong even within a relationship where on the other side is someone who we treasure and who we love. Did the disciples care about the Lord? Absolutely they cared about the Lord. Did the disciples miss what he was trying to get across to them? Absolutely they did. They loved the Lord, but they were missing his message. They were missing what is about to happen. And they missed it because they were more passionate about their desires than the actual will of God. Their request towards the Lord while they had him were not about, Jesus, what would you have us to do and to think and how should we see the world? It was, when we get to heaven, can we sit right beside you? This is really how we are. When we go to uh, an event, if we go to a concert, if we go to a, a ball game of sorts, we don't want to sit in the nosebleed sections holding the ceiling off of us. We want to sit on the first row. And you know what happens when we get to the first row if we're at a ball game? We think to ourselves, how cool would it be if we could get on the field? We never stop at a certain place, do we? If we're at a concert, we think to ourselves like, it would be awesome to get up there and sing a duet with this joker, right? <laughs> or like, what if he were to call me on stage? 
And some of us are probably thinking to ourselves, I would never think that because I would not want to be in front of people. But you do think about it, at least in your heart and mind. Just like what that would look like. Disciple of Jesus, I I would ask us today as we think about our selfish desires, I want you to hear this, because what they did was put before them a selfish prayer request. When you're talking to the Lord, you're praying. So what they put before him was, was a selfish request. And I would ask us all today, rather than considering what it is that we want, what is God trying to get us to see? Add that to our prayers. Lord, what is it that you would have us to see about ourselves? How is it that you would have us to see the world, our neighborhood? Lord, even as I pray and make requests, what is it that you would have us to see about how I'm asking them? And rather than, again, us considering all of these requests that we want to put before God about what we want and want to see in our life, what is it that God wants us to view about this world that we live in? And if you are like me and don't immediately know the answer to that question, it may be because we are more interested in him hearing from us than us hearing from him. Because Jesus was calling them consistently to follow him and laying down their life. And they were steadily trying to lift theirs up. The second thing that we see is the focus of Christ versus the focus of man. The focus of Jesus versus the focus of man. If you look at 38 through 40, once again, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink From the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink, are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. And then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup of suffering and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared for those, those for the ones whom he has chosen. The disciples were speaking about thrones and honor And Jesus was speaking about cups of judgment and baptisms of suffering. Both sides are in the same conversation, but there are completely different levels as to what they are talking about. Yesterday, I saw this headline, Mom Springs Into Action Saves Toddler Running to Hug a Black Bear. Did y'all see that? That's real, by the way. There's like video footage of that. The little, the little kid has been hugging a black bear in her room, a stuffed animal. She walks out. She's like, there's one right there. And on the video, you, clip, you can see the mom running after the child as it's a bear cub who's likely going back to get mama. So the mother grabs the child and brings the child back in. Now, both of them are in the same situation, but there are two different levels of understanding. One is seeing glory. This is amazing. And truthfully, the other is seeing suffering and truth. The understanding of Jesus toward what was ahead would be and what would be reached by the disciples was there. But the focus of the disciples was way, way away from suffering and selflessness. It was way, way away from serving. The cup of suffering that Jesus was talking about, this is a familiar image in the Old Testament This is brought up in the Old Testament on several occasions. It's mentioned as giving an illustration of taking judgment in and upon one's self for sin against God. For example, in Jeremiah 51, 15, the Bible says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
Take from my hand this cup filled to the brim with my anger and make all the nations to whom I send you drink from it. God's word to a prophet to announce the judgment of God to to every nation in the world, it's sin. And Jesus would be the fulfillment of this prophecy that he would drink this cup of suffering for all of us that would believe. For every sin created, every sin that has been on the face of the earth, Jesus would take the wrath of God upon himself. This is what's coming up for him and what he is trying to get the disciples who follow him to understand. He talks about the baptism of suffering. It gives the picture when you think about what we've just seen in the water, that the water overwhelms the conversion, the convert, one who is dying to sin and raising to new life is the water is that symbol that covers over them. And now Jesus is speaking of a baptism of suffering, which is to be overwhelmed by betrayal and judgment and death. See, this is what is on the mind of Jesus. This is what he is trying to get those who follow him to think about. He is communicating away from a future focus of glory and thrones and honor and onto a present and humbling assignment. This is what we are going to do now. Do you have eternal life? Is this what are we going to experience? Absolutely. But before we get to that, we have to humble ourselves and carry out the assignment given to us. Jesus taking the wrath of God upon himself Sin that was not his own, the sin of the entire world. After this, Jesus says, as he explains the cup of suffering and the baptism of suffering, he looks at those two that ask the question and said, are you able to share this experience with me? Are you able to experience an overwhelming suffering with me? And the interesting thing is that he was not asking really to see if they could or not because he knew that they would. If you read forward, you see where Jesus says, indeed, you you will suffer because of me. This is why he says in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. No, their, their sacrifice and service would not be the same as Jesus. The sacrifice and service of his followers will not be the same of our Savior, but as a follower of Jesus, the sacrifice and service should have been the context of their question. Instead of asking about Lord, can, can we sit on your right hand? Lord, will, will, will you give us all that we ask for? Will you supply us our every desire? Will you see to it that everything comes through for us? Instead of those requests all the blasted time, we should be praying in the context of what he is living out, that there is a requisite before there is a reward. Are you hearing me? By them asking about honor instead of demonstrating humility, it proved their focus was selfish and short-sighted. Y'all, this does not mean that we should not lift our cares to the Lord. There are some times when I think to myself, should I really even pray about this? Because this just seems really trivial. And then I'm reminded where the scripture says, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. Just as a father cares about his children, If they were to bring him any kind of request, trusting in me as a father, I would be like, I'm so glad that you asked. I may throw them a no, but I'm sure glad that they depend upon me. So yes, we should should bring our requests to the Lord, whatever they are. But as we listen to our Savior, we will also begin to focus on what it is that he has in mind for our life, that his will is pleasing and perfect, not ours. 
We are this way. We want to think reward instead of suffering. We are drawn to titles and acknowledgement, if not out loud, at least in our heart. Why do we do this? Why are we built, built like this? Because the Spirit of God is in us and wants us to glorify God, but the nature of sin that remains in us until glory, that nature does not want suffering. We don't want to suffer. And we don't want to serve without acknowledgement. Even in the selfish side of us that goes, I don't want anybody to know. Yeah, we, can, we really do. We want at least one person to know that we've done some good. We're afraid to admit that because it's in the depth of our nature of sin, but that's who we are. We are bent towards ourselves. But as one Christian leader said, man, this is good. Ministry is a cross, not a throne. Likewise, I was reminded of Psalm chapter 84, verse 10. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Gatekeepers don't get acknowledgement. They just open the gate and close it. Suffering or service may be the avenue of God's glory in our life. Have we given any consideration to that? I would probably bet that most of us haven't because we don't want to. But service, selfless service, sacrificial service, even suffering may be the avenue of God's glory in our life. It certainly was for the disciples to demonstrate before the world that we trust and believe in God regardless of our circumstances or honor or titles. That we believe in God whether we are lifted up and put on those pedestal or not. We believe in God whether or not it comes through like we thought it would or not. You can imagine how hard this is to preach this. Because in my flesh and in my nature of sin, I don't want it either. But the Spirit of God tells the truth to my heart and life that the glory of God is more important than my own. That the Word of God is more important than the wishes of me. But why? There's a question. Why? Why suffering? Why is that something that will bring glory to God? Why, why no acknowledgement and selfless service? Why, why is that that, that we have to, to do that? Remember this as we think about suffering and service. We are saved by God's grace through faith. And when we demonstrate faith and when we trust the Lord through difficult circumstances, even through suffering, without our life coming apart and staying on the solid rock, we demonstrate the faith that is involved in salvation that others who need salvation need to see. You see, there's a purpose in suffering. How you handle an indescribable, unbelievable, terrible circumstance with faith helps others to look up. Was that a big deal? You bet it's a big deal. That people that never would consider eternity or salvation have looked upon the light of your life and give God glory for something they don't even know yet. You see, as Jesus said, the disciples would suffer. They did. Jesus said, you will suffer this because James was martyred. Acts chapter 12, verse 2. John was persecuted and exiled. Revelation. You see, while they didn't fully consider that now, as they were in a relationship with the Lord, in the end, neither would deny him. And we are all better because they didn't. Amen? I'll close this thought by saying the following. Y'all, things like this as I'm praying and seeking God, Brittany and I were walking this week, and, and as we're walking and talking, 
I abruptly said, hey, stop, 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 stop. She was like, what? And I started getting my phone. I was like, the Lord put a word on my heart. I'm sitting there typing a note. I'm like, don't say another word or I'll lose it. I'll lose it. I want you to hear this, what God spoke to my heart. Because I know that when we talk about suffering and we take a look at what Jesus said to the disciples that, that yes, you will suffer as he's saying this to them specifically and in this context and day and time. As we think about suffering, we think about selfless sacrifice and suffering according to what we may have to do. And we wonder, is that required for us? Do we not? We wonder ourselves, is that required for us? And I think the point to consider here is that these were called to lay down everything that they had, even their life, and while we may not be called to do the same, we can lay down a lot to glorify the Lord. Amen? Last point, Christ's greatness versus man's greatness. The greatness of Jesus versus the greatness of man. See, what you see Next, in verse 41, before we saw the selfishness of two, and now we see the selfishness of the other ten. Right? Verse 41, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Indignant. Indignant means anger or annoyances at what is perceived as unfair treatment. They are mad because two people have asked for honor. They may get it and we may not. And it reminds me, seriously, this is the connection that I make when I hear this. And don't take this personal unless it's personal that your family needs to hear it. But that reminds me of hearing through the years about family members who would not speak to one another because of issues of inheritance. They got so involved with things of this world and over the right and wrong, now they don't speak to their brother or sister because of issues of inheritance. So Jesus, this is what he does. Jesus calls a family meeting. He says, everybody get in here and sit down. And listen, daddies, we need to call family meetings from time to time. You hear me? Spiritual leaders of your home, and that may not be the daddy. We need to call family meetings from time to time. And sit down and talk about things that really matter. Talk about the values of a family, and Jesus calls them together because that's what the Scripture said in verse 42. Jesus called them together, and he said, and he first explains to his children, the places of honor within the kingdom of God are different than the worldly culture around them. Different than the Roman rulers that they are all experiencing. Like, they know that they have these Roman rulers who, who lord it over them, and they're thinking to themselves, well, when Jesus comes through, y'all are all going to be serving us. And then they get in trouble with themselves because they look at each other, and it ain't going to be just you two, James and John. It's going to be all of us. Right, Lord? And Jesus says, y'all come in, bring it in, sit down, and listen to me. He says, among you, it will be different. It'll be different. Forbes.com puts out an up-and-coming leaders list for business executives, the top so-and-so of the up-and-comers that will be the next fill-in-the-blank. And all of these are chosen and listed by positions of influence, experience, company name, revenue, title. Of one up-and-coming leader, the website described it this way, she is a true power woman. She manages a $40 billion business that serves more than 5 million customers. And Jesus says in a still, small voice, Church, among you, it will be different. Church, among you, it will be different. Pastors, deacons, group leaders, volunteers, among you, it will be different. Preacher boys, young men and women that are seeking to serve God with their life by preaching, teaching, missionary, 
among you, if you belong to me, it will be different. Listen to this. Worldly authority values power and authority over people. Kingdom authority values people over power and authority. So if the world's up-and-coming leadership rankings are listed by experience and position and name and revenue and size of influence, the up-and-coming servants of God are really not even listed. There is no list for that because there's one name under heaven by which men must be saved. We all serve the pleasure of our king, our master. In the kingdom of God, within the church, those are who are considered significant are those who are considered considerate instead of conceited, those who are selfless instead of selfish, those who are humble instead of proud. Don't get the wrong idea here. God takes care of the positions. God gives the titles. God has gifted the church with leadership. Don't get the wrong idea that everybody's just to become this, this slave of a servant, and now there's no more order in the church. That would be taking out the other part of God's word. And also, don't get the impression or the wrong idea that you need to make an apology for wanting to do something great for God. That's not what's happening here. There are no apologies, apologies necessary for that because Jesus did not tell them that it was wrong to be great. He told them what great really meant. For example, God assigned and told the leader of his own people, Joshua. What did he say to Joshua? He said, be strong and courageous. He wanted to build him up and give him great confidence. But right after that, he said, but be careful to obey all the instructions in the law of Moses. Study the book of the law. Meditate on it day and night. And he was under the command of God. So there's this balance when you see a leader like Joshua between courage and humility. That yes, he was to lead and lead with strength, but that he was to lead by following the way of God between leadership and fellowship. As one leader said, before a person exercises authority, he or she must know what it means to be under authority. Goodness. Do we hear that today? Like we're just going to show up and expect somebody to hand us a paycheck and a title. Put some work in. You want to serve and have a position and a title? I'm going to tell you, God is a stewardship God, and he won't allow that to happen if you don't serve selflessly before you get there. You above putting up a chair, you above opening up a door, you above taking care of somebody else's kids. You see, these are the things that the church has to bring as we walk into the church because a lot of times what we do when we come into the church on Sundays is we think about how can you minister to me? And Jesus says, if you want to be a leader amongst my people, you got to come in and think about how can I minister to you? There's no apologies necessary for the desire to want to be great, but we have to acknowledge what greatness actually looks like in the eyes of the Lord. Greatness looks like faithfulness. Not up and down, it looks like faithfulness. Greatness looks like humility. Greatness looks like service to the Lord. Greatness is not wrapped up in a title. This is what the characteristics that the, the, the disciples wanted, and this is what Jesus was trying to teach. These characteristics that I'm endorsing to you will not likely land you on a list on the Internet. We don't even know who those people are anyway. Some of y'all may know who they are. I looked at all them names across the board, and I thought, don't know who any of these guys are. They, I don't think they've helped me one time. So greatness is re it's relevant, isn't it? These characteristics that Jesus endorses then land us on a list, but we'll fulfill the calling to our Savior 
and maybe without any kind of title at all, will fulfill that calling in the kingdom of God. It's, it's not position that is of value. It's posture. It's posture. And often that posture leads to position. The posture of humility, faithfulness, selfless service. Disciples of Jesus think of the bottom station before they think of the bottom line. As we leave today, we are immediately thinking of our remaining sinful nature. That even if we take this in this morning and say, good word, preacher, selfless, got it. Good word, preacher, I'm focusing on the, uh, the requisite instead of the reward. God, that's what we're thinking about, God. We're thinking about the Father's will, not my will. You still know, and I still know, that as we say amen today and we bust those doors, that sin nature is still lingering. Still fighting for what we want. And with that, let's finish with verse 45. As we hear the word of the Lord so that we may follow the example of our king as a church. The scripture says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you know what that means? When it says, even the Son of Man, that means even the King of Kings. It means the one that should be served came to serve. The one that is our example, and not just our example, but our Lord and our Savior who laid his own life down. He laid it down instead of taking it and lifting it up. This is the example that we follow. The passion of Jesus is the Father's will. The focus of Jesus is the requisite before the reward. The greatness of Jesus is selfless service. And we get to the invitation, and the invitation is always to a right relationship with God. But Christian, can I tell you something? The invitation is often also a better relationship with God. A better, more mature church who represents the values and interests of God. A church that is unified around the idea of service. That we don't come in here and look to be served. We come in here looking to serve. Can I say that over how many hundreds of folks we got in here today? That we have come to the gathering that is a body of Christ. I'm going to tell you, this message right here on serving your body will not stop. So if you don't plan to serve, we're going to choose who we lose. You can skip on down the road somewhere else that won't require it of you. And that may seem like I'm a little tough and a little whatever. And as I think about it, that was pretty straightforward. <laughs> but I know this in my heart, that as this church has a culture of serving the Lord and people and reaching out and going on mission, we're not going to stop because one or two folks won't. Amen? Now, final word, the scripture says in chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Did you notice that last word, many? How come it didn't say all? To give his life as a ransom for all. Oh, make no mistake about it. Jesus died for the sin of the world. But heaven and forgiveness is reserved for those who would believe. In our responsibility, we must reach back in faith, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. We are saved by God's grace through faith. Not of works, not of works. This is nothing that we work up on our own. It's a simple response to what God has done for us, that God, yes, we accept and acknowledge and believe with all our heart that you are the way to God, Jesus, and we have turning from our sin and turning from you. And that even turning from your sin is not something you do on your own. It is spiritually motivated and generated. If the Spirit of God this morning is working in your heart to turn from yourself and turn to God and get right with Him today, do that before you think about anything else. That that right relationship has been paved and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ.
There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. You cannot get there through works or anything else. You must go through the blood. And you can because the preaching is still available this morning. Amen? But again, as we said, sometimes the invitation is about a call to a right relationship with God over everybody, and sometimes it's a call to a relationship that's just better. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, as we think about all that has been said and preached, God, we are mindful of your word. God, you have set the example of service. There is not an alternate. Lord, that your people are to follow your example and that there should be a place of service found within our life. It's that plain and simple. God, I pray today, Lord, that our church would take practical steps in our own personal life to be more mature in our focus, more mature in our service, more mature in our desires as we yield to your spirits, draw on us to be closer to you. Oh God, we pray that you would continue to use this church for your glory and for the good of people. Lord, I pray for any and all today, Lord, that have reached a decision point. God, they have come to this place where they know that they need to turn from their sin and turn to you. God, if there be one or many in the pews today, that they would be encouraged by the example of a child and a grown man. And that they find themselves anywhere in between, God, that those baptisms, those living pictures of death to life would become their own testimony. God, that they would walk this aisle, that they would call upon your name to be saved. They would talk with a pastor. They would talk with somebody they trust to get some of those questions answered that are on their heart. Lord, we once again thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word to us, God, never leaving us unchallenged or unchanged. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you. Pastors are here to talk to you.